spoken name. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I have a dream that at the moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I have dreamed waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass. More years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins. Where it all came from is the hell of that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional materials. You wake up one morning after not reading a book since your school days and you decide to be a writer. With no good or bad writing to compare against your own, you just know how to write and anyone who tells you otherwise is wrong. Hell, maybe they're jealous of your natural ability to craft the masterpiece. After all, most people need to learn through a combination of books, courses, critical feedback and workshops. Not you though. It's not their fault. They don't realise your natural talent, but they soon will. How to Write Wrong is the new book by Amanda Steele. The book, which is an interactive story, gives the reader multiple options throughout its story. The book can be purchased from Amazon. Spoken Label. Thank you today for tuning in to Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up at the beginning of 2016 and as of recording has over 200 sessions in our archive. Although the podcast can be heard on Anchor, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, YouTube and literally 10 or 11 other networks, the full archive can be found at Spoken Label, all one word, Spoken Label, dot bandcamp.com. On the Bandcamp, it is set as pay what you want, so you are entitled, if you wish, you can download it or stream it for nothing. But if you throw me a couple of pennies my way, it is always eternally grateful to help me maintain the operating costs and future running plots for the podcast. Enjoy. Spoken Label. Hi guys, Andy N, Spoken Label, back in the house again. And I'm doing, this is something I've not done before on Zoom tonight. I've had conversations with more than one person in person, but I've got two people on Zoom tonight. And this is going to be fun, this, because these are two quite interesting people. And in some ways, they're both working on a lot of similar projects. But they come from, I think, in some ways, quite different backgrounds. So, well, let, we'll, let, we'll jump straight into it, because then I'll come to go along. So, would one of you like to introduce yourself, first of all, tell them about your creative background, and then the other one starts. So, ladies and gentlemen, I don't mind. Let you two decide. Are we flipping a coin? I started speaking. So <laughs> you go first, Mike. <laughs> it's difficult to flip a coin in Zoom, minute. Like, if yeah. you're in person, you're in <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that. You, you go for it, Mike. <laughs> Hi everyone, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, my name's Safe. Uh, I'm from Charlton in Manchester uh, and I'm actually a games designer. I studied games design and animation uh, and I've done many different things from advertising to um, producing serious games for military uses. But these days I somehow ended up creating uh, experiences for museums in the Middle East. So I run a group of companies that uh, specializes in using technology and, and sort of digital storytelling techniques to enable communities to talk about their history, their heritage, their culture. 
Hi everyone, I'm Farah and I work um, with Seth on his team. Um, so I actually trained as a barrister and after working in the legal field for a good few years, I transitioned into the humanitarian sector. So I was doing all sorts of aid work in refugee camps and communities across the globe. And this really, really helped um, to really fuel my desire um, to learn more about arts and culture and heritage and it helped that it, it really helped fuel my creative aspirations as well because in my free time I used to love writing and um, performing spoken poetry um, which is something that I now do on a freelance basis um, and I actually work as a creative um, and I've worked um, with Ilham Studio locally as well as globally um, so what I really like doing is just using my experiences to um, really inspire and educate and empower um, people. So, yeah. Hi. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, how did you both first meet then? So obviously, like I said, you both come from quite different backgrounds and perspectives. So I'm interested in what, how, how you combine your work here. But first of all, tell us how you actually met them. It was completely random, wasn't it, for a, we sort of... Uh, yeah, we, we both got involved with the project a couple of years ago um, called MacFest, uh, which is a sort of uh, uh, festival for Muslim uh, arts and culture um, that was sort of started a couple of years ago as a community style project. And yeah, we, I, felt, uh, I felt the need to... Um, um, I felt the need to <laughs> educate Seth about safe about refugee communities across the world when when he was telling me about the mu the scope of the projects he was working on um across the middle east because yeah. there well, was well, such I a drive remember what i finished i think i i, I just finished a project that was uh, or finishing a project that was uh, um, for an organization called the king uh, abdulaziz center for national dialogue um most people probably won't have heard of that because it's saudi arabia specific um, but there's another project, it's the sister company for a bigger project in, uh, in Vienna, uh, which is called the King Abdullah bin Abdulaziz Center for Intercultural Dialogue or Interreligious Dialogue, CASID um, is the abbreviation. And, and the organization's aim is to basically foster uh, cultures and religions talking to each other to promote kind of peace and, and harmony throughout the world. Um, and it was quite an unusual exhibition. It was about dialogue and we sort of got talking and, and we found our sort of creative brains worked very well together. And, you know, we ended up sort of partnering up on different projects and, yeah, uh, and became friends. Cool. Cool. Now, um, Farah, what, um, you wouldn't know, Seth sent over to me originally a video on YouTube and I'm trying to get it over now, but my internet's kind of frozen on me, <laughs> which is typical <laughs> that really in my looks. And there we are. Right, and the video itself was quite an epic piece, but I want to ask you both about that when I get called, I should have hugged you tighter when we last met. And this, yeah. I actually found, I felt it's an incredible piece to watch it was. I felt like it was the journey of a life because it goes six minutes 20. And can you both tell us about this video then? Because I want people, I'm going to share I'll, the I'll link to this. I'll let Farah lead on this because I was sort of, I wasn't really involved officially in the project. I'm a big supporter of her and Bal and the rest of the team. But yeah, it, I can't really claim credit for, for anything in this piece other than admiring it from afar and uh, right. making a few bits of that work. Uh, oh, fair. I, I knew you'd have handed it, Seth. I wasn't sure to what level. 
And, and obviously, I know you're in, I know you're in the video, Barbara, because I heard you heard your key poem coming yeah. halfway through. Yeah. Tell us a bit I, about I this piece. You know, a, you know, as a creative, you cannot take credit. If you're a real creative, you will never take credit for someone else's work. Yeah. Because, it's like, you know, you're stealing someone else's soul. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, um, so firstly, thank you for, for all the compliments. Um, so this was a piece that was initially um, supported and commissioned by Opera North in Leeds. Um, and it was produced by uh, producer ba Balraj Singh Samurai um, from Manchester's Swing Ting. Um, and we had, it was a collaborative piece where we collaborated with artists from across the globe. So we actually had other artists from Kingston, Jamaica, who provided work um, that we then included in this piece. There was a tablet player um, from London. Um, so I, I myself, I'm from Manchester. So it was really um, a collaboration of uh, national as well as international creatives, really, to to give this melting pot of culture and and feelings as well. Because something we the piece was. Um, our response to how the lockdown has affected communities, specifically BAME communities, um, how we were feeling about COVID, um, how we felt about lockdown, um, what our emotions were. And again, something that I was, um, so I did, um, uh, I, I did a spoken word piece, which is in the latter half of the video. And something that I was very, very passionate about delivering was um, a message, but a collective message, not just of truth, but also of hope and of unity. Um, and because something that I'm very, very passionate about is using any platform that comes my way to, to use that as a platform that can be used to give a voice to people who may feel that they don't have a voice. Um, so it was, and then after that, we had, we had um, video elements as well, which were merged into, and you'll be able to see this on YouTube. Um, so we wanted to really just use the entire piece as a platform, which held significance and, and, and provided a service to people around us. So even where people may not necessarily have had the confidence to stand up and say what they were feeling, we wanted to inspire them to, to get up and take a stance what was really interesting about this piece, um, if, if I may continue, was just um, the fact that when, thank you, the fact that when it was released, it was, it sort of fell around the same time as the BLM movement. Um, and I think that what was amazing about that was that we, there's a, there's a, there's a specific line in the piece, which reads. My favorite line by far. Yeah. So it, <laughs> thank Modestly. you. It reads. As Brexit Brigade became tough to condone, we start clapping for people we told to go home. No longer are we spoiled by choice and variety. Empty shelves now portray a crumbled society. And you know, these are not just empty words. They resonate so deeply with every person of colour in this country. And, and, and I, uh, through my words, I really want to send out a message of solidarity. I would say not just people of colour, anyone who's yeah. on the side. Yeah, yeah of course. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's why I liked obviously because my background is different to yours. Which I'm further older than you two. Yeah. But I could I could relate to it, and I got the message you were delivering really beautifully in the whole piece, and that's why I thought 
quite a lot of chat to you today. So I know, sorry, go on, if I were putting you off there. No problem. Thank you. No problem. And um, the, the second thing that I was going to say was, you know, as, as a person of colour myself, I found that it was really important to portray um, my truth and, and really put that voice out there. But also what I wanted to do was not isolate anybody else around us because these are such testing times. It's, you know, we are living in a time where nobody really knows what is going on. There's been huge monumental changes all around us. And I feel that in, in such a time, it's so important to recognize and acknowledge what's gone on. And I think that what I wanted to do was really voice all of that through the arts via mediums that were accessible to everyone, not just a few people. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, I think that gives a bit of a gist about, about the, the piece that, that we did. Yeah, I'm going to include the link on the bottom of the right of this podcast. I recommend people hear it. So I know it's available as an MP3 as well. I've just, just noticed that before. So I'll put both of them down there as well. Now, is, what other projects have you two got on the go then, basically? Because obviously, you're obviously, I know working on this you work on other projects as well, don't you? Yeah, I mean, we've got, uh, we've got a few things. Um, some of the stuff we're not allowed to talk about because of non-disclosure agreement. Um, <laughs> that's, that's why. Until, until it comes into the public domain. Yeah. Um, oh, well, that's my sophisticated interviewing techniques. <laughs> <laughs> this is where yeah. my legal background comes into all the creative stuff. I knew that was the point. I knew that was the point. Please, uh, please <laughs> tell me. Um, no, but I think um, one of the sort of, uh, probably I think the most relevant project to, uh, to the current discussion, um, we produced an exhibition um, for Saudi Aramco uh, last year. Um, it's almost, uh, yeah, I think we started last May, so it's almost a, exactly a year since we sort of finished that um, September, October time we finished. Um, and it was, uh, you might think, oh, it's strange. Why is an oil company, um, you know, uh, commissioning an exhibition? Um, so Sa Saudi Aramco, um, they set up a, a center dedicated to sort of the world culture and the arts. Um, it's called the King Abdulaziz Center for World Culture. Um, or Ithra, and it's probably one of the most beautiful buildings I've ever seen in my life. We'll send you a picture. That, that maybe we'll please, send you a please, yeah. podcast cover of us standing outside it on the opening night. Um, good it me. looks like a spaceport. Like if you look at it, you think you can see. Uh, you can see on my Zoom the Star Wars mural behind me. Um, <laughs> it looks like something that would quite happily be at home, like in a in a sci-fi film. It's. Uh, one of the most stunning pieces of architecture I've, I've, ever, I've ever been to. Um, it's one of those, you know, sometimes you see like renders of buildings before they're made and you're like, when you get there, you're like, it doesn't look anything like it or they were very good at Photoshop. No, the, the renders don't do it justice when you're stood there in this space. It's, it's mesmerizing. Um, but we, we produced an exhibition um, that's called Being Saudi, um, being from Saudi Arabia. Um, and... It was sort of uh, an exhibition that uses augmented reality and gameplay and sort of uh, kind of like an online online world technology similar to Grand Theft Auto. The whole the whole thing is hosted by a server to 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 tell the story of different art forms that people don't necessarily associate with Saudi Arabia. The the image of Saudi Arabia that's portrayed all around the world is this place where you know there's sand dunes and you get your head chopped off for various things and you know, women weren't allowed to drive until very recently and, and you can't, you know, do certain things. 
Um, but the actual truth on the ground when you go there and you explore is completely and utterly different to the media narrative. Um, I've actually lived there for seven years. Um, I'm back in Manchester because of COVID. Um, usually I live in Riyadh, the capital city. And, you know, um, when I moved there first, I went there partly to discover, you know, is what we're being told in the newspaper true? Um, this exhibition shows you um, what fashion used to be like before there was an incident in the 70s where they turned sort of very, very more conservative in their mannerisms. Um, in a similar way to how Iran was before the Cultural Revolution, their, their fashion was completely different, their music was completely different. There's always been a, a, a sort of deep heritage in poetry. Um, most people associate um, Arabic with the language of the Quran. But the actual language of Arabic itself was first classified. When it was classified that Arabic is a language, it was because of poetry. Uh, Mulakat, there's eight sort of pre-Islamic poets that are credited with defining the structure, the notations, and the, the, the intonations of Arabic as a language. It's one of the most complex languages on earth because of all the little dashes and dots and things that you see uh, when you see someone writing Arabic script. It's been simplified for modern times, but... It actually, it's almost like the history of the language is linked so deeply to poetry. And that, that was one of the things that Aramco felt very, very passionately about exploring. Um, and we also explore um, music and pattern making and, and fashion and, and, and using different sort of uh, uh, immersive technology. Um, for example, you don't see a costume in a showcase. You use a, a, a sort of Microsoft Connect style camera to try it on in augmented reality. You don't hear someone playing music. You get to perform in a virtual orchestra on touch screens, uh, similar to the game Magic Piano. So you actually get to choose different instruments, learn about them, learn about the regional music, but then actually play it together in sort of in the museum with five other people. You don't just learn about poetry. It's not just presented to you as a poetry book. You complete, you, you, you play a, a word game that lets you complete word puzzles and then reveal the spoken word performance by sort of, you know, by, by in an interactive way. You don't just learn about patterns on architecture, on tents, on fabrics. You get to put objects that represent them on a table. The, 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 we put a special foil on the table that recognizes the, the magnetic signature of these objects. And then you sort of make a pattern that gets projected in real time onto a piece of pop art on the wall. And every wow. single thing that you do, every single thing that you do in this exhibition is stored on a, uh, on a, on a, uh, it's called RFID technology. It's the same thing that's on your, on your bank card, um, this little symbol here. Um, so we put a chip inside, a, in, inside, it's almost like a Rubik's cube. Again, I'll send you a picture of it. And part of the game, uh, part of the experience, you have to use this device inside the room. You use it like a key. So you make it into a different shape, plug it into a hole and that unlocks the game. It tracks you as you're going through saves every single interaction that you've made. And when you leave, you generate a piece of art that is a combination of the, the favorite line of poetry that you selected, a picture of you in your, in, your, in your costume, the music that you performed, and the pattern that you made on the table, and you take it away for home for you for free, and you get to keep the little cube as well. Um, so it's it sort of a, it, what I've just tried to verbally describe to you is kind of the way that museums are now going in the rest of the world. We're sort of still very old school in the UK. You know, when you think of a museum here, you think of objects in boxes and, you know, the occasional touchscreen and interactive thing. But in the Middle East in particular, 
everything is designed to engage children and teach them about their history and their heritage. And, and it's sort of given my, my organization and, and the teams that I work with, you know, the ability to create whatever we can imagine using sensors, touch screens, holograms, projection mapping, you know, all the things you sort of hear about in sci-fi films or, or buzzwords kind of that are going on in the industry. We've done it and we've got to tell our sort of, you know, we've got to tell people's history and culture and heritage using those methods. I think something that I would like to add to that, if I may, mm, is Seth uh, mentioned, mentioned there um, about um, engaging children, um, just touched upon it there. So just to pick up on that, something that we are hugely, massively passionate about is working with the youth um, because we're both, fortunately, we're quite young. Um, so, well, I mean, we are young. Um, and I think something is that, pardon, you've got... <laughs> yeah, my grey hairs, hairs will argue with you there, but you know. Oh, no, you've no. got some of the top of my head there, right? So that, that, is, that is old age. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go for it, Mara, um, sorry. Something, no problem. Something that we're so passionate about is helping the youth and inspiring the youth because we honestly believe that um, both Safe and I have come from... Um, you know, we have very sort of distinct and, and, and uh, unique journeys. Um, both of us have families, uh, refugee families. We've both um, transitioned uh, various times throughout our lives um, in our, um, uh, how could you put it, I guess in our professional fields. And we really feel that those experiences are best used to then help the younger generation and the future generation. So we have also worked with um, on a lot of youth projects as well. Um, and I think by far my favorite, favorite, favorite project was when we worked with um, school children. But I won't hijack because, Seth, I know you. That's also something that really excited you. So, so I'm, if you I'm can just biased that, because... but you know, not I, I don't know. There's probably not too many children that whose whose dads do the type of stuff that I do. <laughs> so I sort of got roped into. Uh, to, to, to helping my son when he was in reception years. So these, are, these are four and five-year-old children. Um, and they were studying life under the ocean um, sort of in the summer term. And they said, oh, you know, can you help us do something sort of creative um, with this? We want to sort of make our own video or animation or, or, or illustrations or something. Sorry, Beth, just to stop you there. It started with, um, with your five-year-old at the time wasn't it telling his teacher that he was really proud of his daddy because my daddy can make anything in museums <laughs> that's how it started so they saw a projection mapping that i did on the wall um and and they were studying oceans that you know they were studying that topic and they were like oh can you help us basically um so we so i agreed and i was like okay let's <laughs> Let's make a let's make an animation. We'll turn the whole of the reception year uh, wow. in Charlton Park School, in Manchester, into wow. an animation team. Uh, the teachers were amazing. I they they honestly like I, I was actually considering like, do you want to come on my team and help me because you're better than some of the, <laughs> the, the you know some of the the, the the people that I've been forced to work with on occasions. Um, so what we what what they did they we we basically said we're gonna make. Uh, we're going to work with the children to produce all of the artwork for the animation. So they made all of the backdrops, all of the props, all of the fish, all of the um, all of the different creatures that were used. And they also recorded the voiceovers for it on WhatsApp. Um, so, you know, completely low tech. We had no money to spend whatsoever. 
Um, I think, well, apart from I, I paid for some licensing of music and some other bits. So basically, I just dipped in my, dipped my hand in my pocket and, and paid like 500 quid or something to, you know, get various bits of, of stuff done. Um, and uh, my animation team, who are obviously there, I, I, I have an animation team as part of my, uh, my studio. Um, and they basically, they're already on payroll. So I said, look, you know, just, just work on this and uh, we'll, we'll fit it into the working day. Um, and so we basically, we received over 250 pieces of artwork. There were paintings, collages, um, sort of sketches. Um, sea creatures. Yeah, wow. yeah, and, and seaweed wow. and corals and, and everything. And when I got this, I thought, oh, you know, there's 90 children. I might, you know, I'd be lucky if like I can use like, you know, five or six things. But then when I got it, I was like, hang on a minute. What have I done? What if this child now is waiting to show their parents? Look, there's my piece of coral. There's my seaweed. No, I've got 250 pieces of art. Like, oh my God. Like, what, what I cannot I tell you, I cannot tell you how oh. fulfilling, how satisfying this project was. Oh. Watching Dave oh, wow. Grouchy that intact during that project was the most satisfying thing in the world. It was so cute. So, is that the reason why you've got a few grey hairs now then, is it? But, but partly, partly. But I didn't have a scanner big enough for the artwork, so like oh, half wow. of the budget, like I said, I had zero budget, but I was like, no, I can't say no now. So I went and bought like a bigger scanner than the one that I had. Um, and like, and it had to be a little bit raised because some of the stuff was collage. So it was like, wow. it wasn't flat. So, and, and, and then this scanner was entirely destroyed by sequins and gold things like falling off and like, you know. So I, I still find stuff sometimes when I scan it, I find like, you know, a little bit residue or <laughs> shiny things that is falling between the cracks or something. Um, oh, uh, absolutely fantastic. So yeah, so, so we, we took all of the work, we digitized it, I passed it on to my team who, you know, I'm not saying that we did like a Pixar job. Uh, we basically, we did what's called puppet animation in After Effects. So we, we kind of rigged all of the pieces of artwork and made them flap or move or do something and sort of did animated camera paths through scenes. Um, but the results are really, really beautiful. And, and we look at that, we use that now. When we approach clients, we say, look, we did this for free with four and five-year-old children. You know, give us a budget. What do you, you know, the possibilities are endless. If we can do this under these circumstances, just think if you give us a little bit of money or a lot of money, depending on the client, you know, imagine what you can do. And it became a really powerful selling tool for us. Yeah, I think the best part was seeing the reaction of the children and the parents because, um, I was actually there to um, see. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't there for the premiere. I was working on something. So I was super, super lucky. But I think the best, best part of actually my entire journey of working at Ilum Studio actually was during this project. Um, it was probably 2.30 in the morning and there was an animation that a, a five-year-old had drawn. And we were baffled as to what sea creature this was because we didn't know what sea creature it was. So Seth took, took the time to help this child portray <laughs> what he wanted to portray because we had, we had recordings as well with each, each, um, each uh, anima um, oh, wow. animation or painting. So he actually fixed the child's drawing so that, it, you know, we, the, the audience, so that the audience could tell what it was. And it was just the most heartwarming thing that I've ever, <laughs> ever, ever seen. I didn't do much. Oh, wow. I just like sort of, you know, I, like, I helped so out a bit to define the shape of the animal. It was already there. They just, they stuck it over the, 
they'd stuck it over the pencil line so you couldn't see where the edge was. So I, I, di I didn't do much, but you know, I want, like I said, <laughs> we included every, every single thing that we received is in the animation. Yeah, it was so beautiful. And maybe oh. we can send you a look at that as well and you can have Lovely. a look. It was so, Lovely it was show. just so Lovely. heartwarming. Love, love to see whatever you send across to me because I'm always a big believer. People are talking like you two are so passionate about the work you do. It's obvious. I'd love to see it. I'm sure anybody else listening to this podcast would love to, love to hear what, what work you're doing as well. So uh, is there any other projects you two can want to talk about today? Um, or anything else you know, people think, should be aware of? I, yeah, no, I think we'll jump back into Ithrab because Farah, what you did with the poetry has never been done before. It's, as far as we know, um, it's the first time that anyone's done this with, the, with sort of poetry in the world. Um, but you, you can you explain it better than me. Right, so we worked, we collaborated with... Um, with um, uh, we collaborated with with somebody who had read um, Arabic literature from Yale University, um, who provided translations of um, classic classical Arabic literature. Those translations were then taken by Sorry. myself. Um, yeah, hello. Uh, oh, are we? Are we, <laughs> I got, we have a hello. We've got a cameo here. <laughs> Yeah, here's the person responsible. All <laughs> oh, right, so we have we have a five-year-old here who is hey, youngest person everyone's spoken like. Can I say hello? Hello. Hello. <laughs> Bit shy. <laughs> oh, but I bet he's not always that shy. <laughs> oh, he's not. He he would actually outdo us in the podcast actually if he wasn't too shy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Give him two years, he probably will. <laughs> Um, anyway, so sorry, go um, the poetry project um, once we had the Arabic classical Arabic poetry translated and sent over to us I then rewrote the Arabic versions into English versions of poetry however the syllable count was kept identical the intonations were kept identical and the flair but so all of the phonetics were kept identical so in the end when we did spoken versions of the English poetry and the Arabic poetry, they were, they were identical. And it was just, it was the most, it's never been done before, but it was, it was, I have to say that's probably the most challenging piece of work that we've ever done because doing that across the board for a number of different pieces and trying to keep it identical when you're translating it into a completely different language. And Arabic, as Saif mentioned before, is a very, rich language each um, word can have so many different meanings and connotations um, so I was also very very conscious to work with the professor from Yale University to ensure that none of the translation uh, uh, none of the richness of the language or the culture or the heritage was lost in the proce process of translation um, so what we had was um, Arabic versions of poetry that were incredibly rich incredibly deep deeply written poetry and it, there was like a phonetic flair you know there was it was rhythmic the rhythmic flair was identical to the English versions that I then wrote um so completely completely new but uh, and, and nothing like I had ever done before but in just an incredible project to be a part of yeah it's an amazing piece I'm going to say it's all that long but it's an amazing piece and will your work not otherwise than Farrah it, that's obviously not an example of your work then, is it? So is your work normally out of this project quite different than is it your poetry? Um, so usually um, with poetry, what I would say is there 
okay so i've been writing since i was five years old and my favorite rule for writing mm. poetry or whichever whatever type of writing you want you want to bring into the equation my favorite favorite rule is don't follow any rules so there's no such thing really as normal or not normal um however i hadn't nothing like that has ever been done before but the kind of writing that i think i mean i can't even really put a pinpoint on what, what we do what what kind of what we do um in our projects because we've done copywriting we've done research writing we've done poetry spoken poetry um content writing uh creative writing um so all sorts um just really across the board yeah, it's kind of like all different types of creative writing yeah and i think, I think medium we're, we're telling the story and we we, we sort of uh, um, we do the english side and then we'll bring a specialist into yeah side that really understands like what we're doing like a, a writer and not a translator yeah, yeah and i think something that's just really fallen into place for me i think is that like i said i have been writing since i was five years old and it was always something that i enjoyed a hobby on the side and but the fact that i went into down the league down a legal career um it's just when i think back to it now although i've left my legal profession um behind um, it baffles me because it comes into use so many times because my my, my English writing skills are, are, are so strong because of the fact that I've trained as a barrister and it just is it baffles me how life really does take you into a full round circle because so many times while I was banging my head against those big fat thick law books I used to think oh why have I done this and why am I doing this but it just all makes sense now you would never think that you would have to do that in order to become a writer. And you, you don't have to do that in order to become a writer. But I guess what I'm trying to say is no experience is a wasted experience. And that's why I'm able to bring all of my experiences to the table, regardless of what projects we have. And that's why our projects vary as well across the range, because we have the skill set, but not only just the skill set, we've got the passion and the commitment to see every project through. Yeah, see, see that with a pair of you straight away. You're that sort of people, and I could be, good, good you, you can tell good that straight away. Well you're learning. <laughs> you do on the side. You get a statement, aren't I, mate? Yeah, I meet so many mean, people. Yeah. You get to know. You can work people out in minutes. You can. So yeah, I worked out with a pair of you straight away. You're that sort of people. You. you start a project, unless something Thank dramatically you. goes wrong, and it does happen. Like I said, you'll you'll be there, and that project's done no matter what. So definitely with that. So now. If people want to find out more about your studios and, and yourselves, where are the best going? Um, honestly, like without without meaning to sound arrogant, we don't we don't really have a website. Um, we we just sort of we get a pro we get approached the type of work that we do. It's very very specialist, um, mm. and we we're so well known for what we do in the Middle East. Um, people like sort of come to us and like bring us in themselves because they know me by name or they've seen some of my some of my work or some of the work that I've done, you know, for, for other people, through other people. Um, so we just kind of, we, we don't, uh, it's, it's like for us said, there isn't a recipe for what we do. Um, so it's difficult to put something together. We just, we help people tell stories using different mediums. Um, so, you know, like we, we described like a gallery that was uh, the, 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 the Being Saudi project that was very game-based. Um, another project that we did in Kuwait um, you know, we were engaged directly by the consultants of the Royal Court. Um, and it was a, a history museum about the rulers of Kuwait. Um, it, was a, it was a palace that was destroyed in the Gulf War. 
uh, and we got called in when they turned it into a museum. Um, they sort of refurbished it and turned it into a museum. So we helped them with creating, managing the, the, the content creation process and then installing it on all the specialist devices, like we said, sort of holo digital holograms, Pepper's Ghost type things, um, vapor holograms and projection mapping on walls and on wow. tables, and screens, and just like loads and loads of different things. Um, and we, uh, as well as that, um, there was one sort of uh, deliverable that was that nobody wanted to do. And so we were like, you know what, we're feeling brave, we'll take it. And it was to produce a, a, a documentary film about the story of the palace, how it was made, and then how it was destroyed, and then how it was remade. Um, so we got to shoot, you know, I, I, I called in, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I've not really talked much um, about how I started with this. Um, I got into sort of the arts from a very early age. Um, I've always been into making things. You know, it started off with like plasticine and Lego and, and connects. Um, when I got to school, um, as I mentioned before, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. It was the, I was in year 10 when Star Wars episode one came out, year 10 or year 11. Um, and my, one of my best mates at school, um, he always wanted to be a film director. And he sort of convinced us all, let's make our own spoof of episode one. Um, so, you know, my grandma sold me, I was Darth Maul, my grandma sold me like a, a, a black Sith robe. We got plastic lightsabers and plastic masks. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we were running around school looking like dressed up like idiots making this film. Um, and because of that, I was like, well, how did they make the lightsabers? How did they make the spaceships? And I sort of taught myself how to start animating and adding visual effects um, using After Effects uh, while I was in high school. Uh, and I was always a big gamer as well. So then I started like, okay, so you use After Effects to do that. How do I make the spaceships? All right, I got into 3D Studio Max and 3D modeling and 3D animation. And then I was like, okay, so I can use that in mod games as well because I'm a big gamer. And like one thing led to another. And then I just sort of found myself like, you know what? I'm pretty good at this. And like joined like, it was the early days of the internet, joined various forums and found out. Um, and I got my first freelance project when I was doing my A-levels. Like a group of uni students paid me to work on their final year project. Wow. I used, wow. I used the money to buy an Xbox. So I was like, you know what? I'm pretty good at this, man. Like, you know, what, what, why, why isn't this a potential career path? I don't want to be an accountant, a doctor, a lawyer. Uh, 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 you know, I, I did consider architecture because, you know, I've, I've always been into sort of um, that type of uh, space design and, and sort of designing experiences um but i was like nah you know what if i'm making games or films or doing animation it won't it'll be like i'm not working and honestly like you know apart from the first few years where you're coming up and you're doing junior stuff when you when you get your experience and you start doing fun stuff it doesn't feel like a job um so go, going back to that project my friend from school is now a professional film director um, Phil Hawkins um, and he I gave him a call and I'm like you know what I've got to make a documentary in Kuwait about this palace and are you in should we submit a proposal it's really risky but you know I think we can do it let's work together professionally after 20 years I've won it and <laughs> did it and we're sort of in final now. Um, but it just shows it just shows you you know running around in costumes at school opened me up to being in charge of a 200 million pound project in the Middle East so, you know. Wow. The shows you that indeed that one. So good God, respect you, mate, and that one, definitely. So right, um, we're looking at the time here. We're starting to run out of time now. So um I've been brilliant today. This is really, really enjoyed this because it's been 
here with two completely different stories and this one's been fantastic guys so um is there anything you need to say before we conclude and people need to be aware of anything I, else I, I think Farah you know what I think you should read your Palestine piece because um this piece came it's my favorite piece of her work um it was a piece that came from stories of Palestinian refugees, every single line is based on a real person's experience, and it's my it's my favourite piece by far. I would love to hear that, Farah. Would you like to, Would you like to read it out for us? And what I could do, do is we have a few minutes. Um, yes, we do. Yes, we do. What we always do is, and that's why I, I wasn't sure whether you were reading tonight or not. So I was going to find a way of asking in a moment. What we'll do is we'll pause the recording. We'll stop. Cut. Yeah. Stop part one. And we'll hang around and we'll let Farah do read uh, Peter as in part two. Give us a couple minutes to get ourselves composed. Right, so, we brilliant today. Thank you, guys. Hang around. Thank no you. problem. I hope Thank it you. Will. Thank you for See having me. Two us. minutes, guys. Spoke on me. Hi, guys. Okay, straight over to Farah and she's going to read out her poem for us. Over to you, Farah, my friend. Thank you. I'm running around the house past all of my toys. My brother giggles as he races me, making such a funny noise. I run into the garden, barefoot on the grass. My brother calls my name, he hates coming last. But I run and I run and I run, and I run like I am free. The sun wraps itself around me and inside, I am happy. Then I hear a sound like a whistle from afar. I'm looking around, maybe it's Baba's car. But it's getting louder and louder, so I stop and turn around. My brother has stopped too. He's disturbed by the sound. Our eyes are locked and he begins to frown. Inside I hear mummy screaming, get down, get down. The panic rises inside me, but still I don't understand. I cover my mouth with both of my hands. I'm trying to move, but I'm stuck to the ground. Oh my God, help me. I think we've been found. Bang. Oh my God, I think we were found. I'm lying face down. I can't hear a sound. I'm blinking my eyes, but I can't see. I'm too scared to move. I want my mummy. When I do dare to move, it's all sticky. And that's when I realize there is blood trickling down me. Oh my God, but what about those who are dear to me? I'm trying to get up. I don't care that it hurts. I just need to know that my family is okay first. It's... It's so quiet and I don't know why. I've forgotten how to talk, but still I try. I take a step, but I fall back down. A dusty smoke is all around. I'm trying to see, but I just can't see. I start to wail, mommy, mommy. I start to crawl, but this isn't grass. It's cold and it's hard and there's pieces of glass. I'm so confused, I don't know where I am. There's piles of rubble where my home used to stand. There are piles of rubble where my home used to stand. I won't let it beat me, I won't let it win. I'm determined I'll still find a way in. I'm, I'm trying to search with all of my might. I'm using my hands, there's panic inside which strengthens my fight. I need to find them, I need to see my brother, my father, my beautiful mummy. That's when I see it and it knocks me sick. A bloodied hand amongst the rug, rubble and brick. On the fingers I see a ring. Oh my God, he's wearing the ring. Baba, get up, I need you to sing. Look, I'm hurt and I'm bleeding and I don't know what to do. It's cold and it's dark and it's scary too. It's suddenly black when the lights go out. And when I wake up, it's all changed. There's no shadow of a doubt. There's no home, no, no house, no family to call my own. 
I'm surrounded by people, but still I'm alone. They told me they got them, but I was lucky to flee. Apparently, my family have gone, but at least they could save me. If I wasn't standing out there on the grass, those treacherous moments would have been my last. They told me I can't leave, I have to stay here now. And I look around, they're all strangers. I think to myself, how? I think of my brother looking at me after moments spent running because I was free. The sun was shining and inside I was happy, but it's all gone now, gone, it's just a memory. So I run, run and I run and I run and I run to be free but the pain sears inside me and it won't let me be. I don't know who they were, I don't know what they wanted, but they have taken everything dear to me. So now I ask each one of you that sees and hears, who hears my voice, who sees my tears? Who hears my voice, who sees my tears? And this was a piece, Andy, that was every single line has been taken by, has been taken from real stories that I have been told from the mouths of refugees themselves during the refugee and humanitarian aid work that I've carried out in my um, work as a humanitarian and as an international aid worker. Um, so it's a piece that's really dear to my heart and it's actually, you're actually the first person that I've, I've read this to without, without, um, uh, prior notice of performance because it's a piece that I find incredibly difficult to perform. Yeah, it's not um, easy. It's not easy. I can, I can hear that straight yeah, away. So. And it's because because it's, it's, it signifies the voice of children of war. Um, it signifies the voice of children of war and it's an amalgamation of stories, true stories that I have heard whilst I have been abroad. Yeah, no, anyone has, anyone replays that, it's worth your time, definitely. Just I was sat there and I had to close. It's one of those sort of pieces. And the piece really grips you emotionally. And you have to just look, I'll look down and, I'll and close my eyes. Let the words erupt. I've seen grown men cry when you've done it at charity, when you've done it at charity events. I can see why. See why straight away. Incredible piece. Thank you to that, Faye Farah. And thank you, Seth, as well. So it's been great fun today. So hang around the pair of you. I need to speak you off mic. But this is it for today. It's been a fantastic session. I've had a really good entertaining chat with you two today so I've learned things I didn't know about today and that's always good fun. <laughs> Take care guys and girls. Thank you both. Bye. 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 See you all soon guys. Stay safe. Spoke on me.